Hi everyone, welcome back to the Yellow Podcast. Today's guest is the adventure filmmaker and photographer Kyle Vollers at Kyle Vollers on Instagram. Sorry, Kyle, if I'm butchering your last name. But anyway, we dove really deep in this episode. Kyle shared about his background, what it was like growing up in South Africa and then how he gravitated to sports and arts. And then we also talked about editing videos, editing photos, how you can achieve a consistent feed. We also talked about his adventures in Greenland, which is a place I really, really want to visit. And of course, we also talked about FPV, which is something we didn't talk about on the podcast before. So I really think you're going to enjoy this episode. So make sure to check out Kyle's work. And without further ado, the Yellow Podcast up next. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the Yellow Podcast. Hey, gee, thanks so much for having me. I'm yeah, stoked to be here and uh, appreciate the invite and taking the time to, to listen to me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, where, where are you right now? I'm currently in the northwest of France. I'm in a tiny little town called Les Hepiers. I think I might be butchering that name, but it's uh, yeah, a tiny little town in the northwest, just about uh, a few hours from Bordeaux. I think most people know where Bordeaux is, if you've ever been into drinking wine. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much where I've been for the past few months uh, since leaving Australia. Yeah, is it by the by the coast? We're about an hour drive from the coast. Okay, so, I'm jealous. Yeah. Yeah, close to the <laughs> coast. I was actually uh, I was on the coast yesterday shooting. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. There's just from basically an hour to the coast and then all the way down south, you just go like through down to Bay Ritz and into like Pays, Pays Basque area. And then Spain is also pretty close. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, we, well, Kyle and me, we met about a year ago, something like that. We did a trip together to the philippines which was really nice like what was it three weeks traveling around the philippines yeah three um, weeks. that was really nice yeah i mean it's, it's so beautiful out there it's hard to hard to go wrong yeah yeah so it's it's really nice uh to kind of see you evolve uh also like see your photos evolve and your editing style evolve and all that so we're gonna talk about that later on but first let's kind of talk uh like can you walk us through your backstory, like where you where you come from and kind of all the things that you did before photography, let's see? Yeah, uh, for sure. It's uh, it brace yourselves. It's a bit of a deep dive. Uh, but yeah, I'm born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm 27 years old and yeah, I basically spent my first 18 years living in Cape Town. I, I, had, a, I had a bit of a bumpy upbringing uh, where I think, I think when I was about seven years old, my mom passed away from cancer. 
and uh, yeah, I never met my real father until I was actually, I think I was 21 when I met my real father. And uh, yeah, I'll just start from the beginning essentially. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Cape Town, lost my mother at a pretty young age. And I think I grew up with quite a bit of resent because of that. And also because my father wasn't around for many years. Actually, I thought he was, I thought he was dead actually for 18 years until he added me on Facebook. Um, it was quite crazy because I just received a notification one day saying like, your father's following you. <laughs> um, and yeah, his family and my family actually didn't know where he was for, for quite a long time until he just came out of the woodworks. He was living in uh, the UK uh, illegally, actually. It's quite a crazy story, but he was yeah living living on some ranch illegally, working, uh, taking care of like some small holding, looking after horses and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely a bumpy ride, growing up in Cape Town without a mother. And essentially, what happened is my auntie adopted me and raised me as her own. I call her my mom to this day, so I'm pretty I'm I'm grateful that I was taken into my own family and not adopted by another family essentially um and yeah before i get to the whole story about my father i'll just tap into how it was sort of growing up and yeah i grew up surfing and grew up super active grew up skating i was always uh always trying to push myself and always trying to get better at whatever i was doing and uh yeah i started skating professionally street skating professionally at least um through my teenage years, I was surfing a lot all the time. So I pretty much grew up in the water. In Cape Town, as you know, Julia, you've, you've been there. You have the Indian and the Atlantic just a stone throw a stone throw away from each other. So you can pretty much wake up in the morning, go enjoy sunrise on the Indian, and then enjoy sunset on the ocean, on the Atlantic, which geographically, it's, yeah, it's one of the most beautiful places I still think, you know, even though I grew up there. Um, so yeah, I basically spent a lot of time skating and then I got in my later years and teenage years, my teen years in school, I got into art and graffiti and yeah, started doing graffiti. I actually dived headfirst into graffiti at the time. But I actually started when I was about 10 years old and by, by the age of 12 or 13, I was waking up at one in the morning to walk an hour to the train lines just to paint alone. Like I was so, I was so determined to get as good as I could get. Uh, and yeah, I painted for, well, I still actually paint, but I painted for solidly for around 10, 10 years and just absolutely went mental around Cape Town painting as much as I could. I was painting around three to four times a week and uh, painting illegally sometimes, <laughs> uh, which I don't do anymore because I would rather not live my life behind bars. Uh, but yeah, that was sort of my creative outlet. And I think also growing up, growing up dealing with a lot of pain and stuff because of my family and not having a mother around and maybe not understanding that in my younger years, I sort of, I gathered a lot of anger, you could say, towards society. Uh, and sort of, I let that out in my graffiti and 
basically just destroyed everything I could <laughs> and had uh, had somewhat of a uh, an aggressive attitude. Uh, I guess you know being a graffiti artist at the age of 16 like my my alter ego is way bigger than the size of my head and I was just trying to get as good as I could you know uh, but yeah that's sort of like my short summary of my backstory growing up I just spent years painting surfing skating doing whatever I could you know being outside and pretty much chasing adrenaline you could say I'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie uh and just going full force into everything I got into actually at the age of at the age of 18 no actually it was around 17 I started downhill skating uh, which is essentially longboarding uh, really fast downhills <laughs> and I went full force into that and actually got sponsored by a company called Peg which is a small company from the east coast uh, up in Durban and I started traveling around the country doing races. You know, you wear like the full leather suit and everything because you, you're going, you're going like a hundred plus kilometers an hour, uh, a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. And I got hooked on that and did that for a number of years, uh, semi-professionally. And, uh, and then I left South Africa and I left to the boats and yeah, I think like, you know, Growing up, I actually always wanted to get into photography, but I just couldn't afford a camera. Like the only the only thing I could afford was the spray cans that were like, I don't know, at the time maybe thirty three euros in South Africa per ten. Yeah, so wow. Then, yeah, that was my that was my creative outlet overall. When you were growing up, did you always have this? Like, were you kind of always drawn to this artistic side as well, as well to like the sports and then kind of wanting to, I don't know, express yourself through graffitis and, and then, um, like, how did that translate then into picking up a camera? So, yeah, as I mentioned before, I sort of, I always wanted to get a camera. Uh, and I actually, I did end up buying one eventually when I was around 18, I bought it, had it for a little bit, and then I sold it. I don't know why I sold it. I was young and dumb at the time. Uh, but when I joined the yachting industry, so basically what I did is I did my all my courses to be uh, first officer on the boat. Uh, I, I essentially have my captain's license under a certain gross tonnage, so I can be a captain of a boat under 200 gross tons. Uh, and I got that license and then I pursued a career on the, the super yachts, which are, you know, those massive mega yachts you, you see in the south of France. Uh, and I worked on the boats for a few years. And during that time, I earned, I was, you know, becoming independent and earning half decent money. And that's when I decided to pick up a camera. I think it was the Canon 60D with the Sigma 18 to 35. And mm -hmm. I bought that camera at the start of the season in Norway. I joined a boat as first officer there and we cruised the fjords of Norway for four months, four and a half months. Honestly, one of the best experiences of my life. And I yeah, I wish I knew how to use a camera better at the time because so many, so many opportunities. Um, 
although I did fly the drone a lot out there. So yeah, that's when I sort of fell in love with landscape photography, photography essentially, and just started shooting everything, you know, shooting water droplets on the side of the boat, just like, you know, when you, when you get a camera and you get into it and you discover, you discover depth of field, you just go absolutely yeah. mental. And yeah. yeah, I, I just started shooting. And at the end of that season, I was like, whoa, like I'm able to just take this camera, capture views and scenes that I think are beautiful. And then like edit it in my own style. Like, this is crazy. Like, you know, and then I just, then I discovered the community on Instagram and got in, like massively inspired by a lot of other photographers, you being one of them. And, uh, and was just, and was just like, holy shit, I, you know, I love this. This is, this is epic. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about getting arrested. Well, unless I'm <laughs> flying, flying drones, flying drones in the cities. Uh, but it was just such a, uh, an awesome creative outlet for me because it's so accessible, uh, versus like with graffiti now, even, you know, I can go buy paint, but then I have to go find a wall. And then once I find a wall, I have to get permission. It, there's a lot of, uh, like paperwork that goes into it and, and a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of behind the scenes work versus just taking my camera into the mountains and shooting. Um, and you know, I did, I was at a sort of crossroads with my photography a few years back when I was like, you know, do I want to pursue a career as a graffiti artist uh, as an, uh, and as an artist, or do I want to pursue a career in photography? And the deciding factor, I think, for that was, do I want to be in the cities or do I want to be in the mountains? And it's just like black and white for me, you know, I 100% want to rather be outside in the mountains um mm -hmm. and build a build a career that takes me outside instead of keeps me inside uh so that was actually the deciding factor on why i chose to dive headfirst into photography and pursue it as a, a career mm -hmm. yeah so did you did you at first just create photos because you also you also make amazing videos and all that. Did that like come later or was that going hand in hand? Yeah, I, I think I first, I, I first dived pretty deep into photography and didn't, I dabbled with a little bit of video with, uh, like the drone, uh, just cause it's so easy and you can just take videos, stabilize the ready. Uh, but growing up, I was. I was always making videos of like my skating or my graffiti. Uh, so that was, I always, like, I was always trying to make little YouTube videos and like little clips just on my graph and even on surfing. So I always had a little bit of a, a passion for video. Uh, but once I realized what I could actually create with the cameras that I have at the moment and like with the drone and stuff, that's, uh, that's sort of what fueled the fire for getting more into video. And I still remember I watched Rim North's uh, Bangladesh video and just was like, holy shit, this is epic. You know, how someone can just go into, go into a village or go into a city and a place and just like capture the essence of everything, you know? And um, that was, that was what really inspired me to sort of pursue it more and get more into it. Uh, and I think like 
what, what was my last edit that I released, the Sri Lanka video. I think you can see a lot of inspiration from Bryn in that video. Um, and yeah, I sort of, that's, that's where I'm at with video. I've, I've got so many projects that I'm wanting to finish at the moment, but I'm currently dealing with a MacBook that is not, not happy with Premiere. Uh, mm. so I'm, I'm getting a new Mac soon. And once I get that, then I'm going to dive headfirst into a lot of edits. Um, I think, uh, the editing process is as important as the final product for me. Like I really, really enjoy the process and, and diving deep into flow states and really being able to work on projects like in a fluid manner. So when you have like programs and stuff crashing on your, on you all the time, it's sort of, for me, I'm just like, I'm not going to even try to edit it, even though I probably could finish that and finish it and put it out, but I want to enjoy the process. So this is why I've got like just so many cinematic projects and edits that are on the back burner until I have a stronger, stronger Mac. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I had this MacBook that I have now for maybe four or five years and I use it literally every day. And I feel like... Yeah. Whenever I edit videos, I really enjoy it, but I I can't fully like immerse myself because as you said, like the laptop just it shuts down or it's just slow or whatever. So yeah, I, I feel you on that. Yeah, you, you get the, the spinning wheel of death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do or you just lose your uh, whole project? Yeah, yeah. Do you, the, the, the autosave function on Premiere saved so many of my projects. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, do you, um, do you feel like when you're editing, like for me, it's like whenever I edit photos, it's, it's more like, it's more like calming. But when I edit videos, I get sometimes really stressed out because I feel like with a video, you have so much more possibilities, how you're going to like you know the sequence of the clips or how you're going to make a certain transitions and the element of sound and music it's so overwhelming like how how is that for you it's uh overwhelming <laughs> that's a that's a yeah. good word to use uh for me once i get once i sort of get into flow state i'm able to it, it just sort of unravels you know and and obviously when you are dealing with programs that are slow and stuff it can really slow the process down. I think for me, the most overwhelming part of diving in, into, into an edit is culling through all the footage, especially if you've got like terabytes of footage to go through. Like I spent two months in Sri Lanka. So you can just imagine the amount of footage that I had to go through because <laughs> I was shooting every day. And it was just, it took me a week just to cull through the footage almost. Uh, and that's like, such that for me, that's like it's the most daunting part of diving into really big edits. Uh, but also, yeah, there's so many different variables uh, with video and you, you put this little sound effect there or do this there or add this little layer there. And there's obviously a lot that goes into it. Uh, so it can get overwhelming, especially when you're coming to the tail end of the project and you don't know where to finish it or how to finish it. And you just got like 150 layers of sound or you know, it gets like the whole project just gets really overwhelming. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I guess you, you, you just deal, deal with it as you go. Eh? 
Yeah, I think everyone kind of goes through those struggles, and and um, but sometimes I just like most of the time when I when I start working on a video, I get like super into it, and I'm like, this is the best thing ever. And then after a while, I absolutely yeah. hate the project, and I don't look at it for a few days, and then I get back to it and try a different song, and it just it you go through so many different stages of frustration and excitement it's really funny yeah no it's so true i mean <clears throat> i saw the sri lanka edit it was just a, a, a whole different beast you know even if people watch it and they're like oh it's just like a four minute edit you know that's all right but the emotional roller coaster ride that i had with that project is like just unparalleled to anything i've ever had to deal with in terms of a, a, a video edit and yeah, it can be, it can get really, really intense. A lot of frustration, a lot of like the times are at, at certain times during that edit, I was just like, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't even want to look at this anymore. I, I listened to that one. I listened to those tracks thousands of times. Uh, so yeah, it can, it can get really overwhelming. That's why I think having, having a fast laptop where things move a lot more fluid, that can, you know, completely change the way you work and the way the way you work through projects uh mm -hmm. you know versus having uh versus having a an editing session where your your laptop crashes five times throughout the session in, you know versus having an edit session where you work flawlessly throughout that's i think a big difference and can also change the way uh change the way you feel you know throughout the process yeah Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. I I feel like um, next to the videos that you create, I feel like you also really found your editing style in terms of like photography. Was there like a specific trip or a specific moment where you were like, okay, I've, this is how I want to edit my photos? Hmm. I think I think it was in Sri Lanka actually. Uh... Yeah, Sri Lanka. I'm trying to think around the time. You know, to be honest, I drew a lot of I drew a lot of inspiration uh, for my edits from your style and from other like Nice Guy Travels. Uh, there's a few there's a few people that have like a, a faded a faded style which I really like. It's like an aesthetic in photos that I just love the way it looks. You know, it looks yeah, the more the less digital a photo can look to me, the better it looks. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it was in Sri Lanka where I was like trying to dabble with just adding a lot more fade into my photos and, uh, messing around with like all the different RGB channels and just trying to find like a look that w was a little bit different, you know? Uh, I mean, I'm not saying I have a completely unique style compared to a lot of other people, uh, but I sort of just found... I mean, you could put it down to the tone curve. I found a little tone curve that I really enjoyed using and I've been building and manipulating that curve ever since and just trying to keep my style sort of consistent. Uh, like a lot of, I get a lot of questions often about like, man, like, you, you change your colors all the time, but your feed stays so consistent. Like, how do you do this? I'm like, well, you know, if you keep your tone curve consistent, then there is going to be an underlying an underlying foundation of consistency throughout all your work. 
if, if you're constantly changing your fade and having no fade and then adding a lot of fade and like just, you know, basically, basically if you're using multi, uh, if you're using a lot of different preset packs from a lot of different photographers, your work is going to be very inconsistent. Uh, <laughs> which is, I'm one, to, I'm, I'm one to say because I sell presets, but I do stress this a lot to people who ask me that, you know, you should find something that you like and stick to it. And by committing to that style, it doesn't mean that your style is going to be like that forever because your style will undeniably evolve over time. It's just, it, it's just the way things go. You know, if you put enough work into a certain aspect, it will evolve. Uh, it's just inevitable. So yeah, that's sort of, I, I think that's all I can really say on that uh, topic really. Yeah, I think that's a really good advice, The having the same tone curve throughout uh, your feet, because that was kind of for me when I discovered the tone curve, it just changed the whole way that I I viewed editing and just dived into it more and more and really, yeah, like if you have the same same tone curve and kind of the same name tones then it doesn't necessarily matter what kind of colors you're editing because it always comes down to the same uh i don't know like channels of colors i don't know i'm not super like an expert in what exactly it does but i just know that it works uh with yeah. all the colors so that's a really like good way to to have a consistency in your work for sure yeah definitely i think if i was using uh like a huge variety of different tone curves, my feed would look terrible. Uh, yeah, it's 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 funny because I I do draw a lot of inspiration from your work because you have a good way of balancing like dramatic landscapes with very minimal shots as well. And uh, it's funny because I quite often look at my feed and I'm like, like I need to shoot more minimal. You know, like this is way too busy. Like everything's so i call it like aggressive like oh i sometimes go into a person's feet i'm like whoa, whoa whoa like this is way too aggressive for my liking you know um and then i go into a person's feet like fun uh or like who else i mean yeah there's there's a lot of people that have been sort of pushing a more minimal style you know L less is more and i do i do really like it i like it a lot the only problem is it's quite, it's not that easy to shoot minimal all the time. Uh, you really have to be hunting for those sort of compositions, and it's yeah, it's it's something you got to be constantly thinking of really while you are shooting. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, for me it has really changed when I got my seventy two hundred because before I was always shooting on a wide angle on the sixteen thirty five. And yeah. when I got seventy two hundred, um, it just changed the way that I could isolate subjects, you know. And and I just I I love that lens because it it just really helped to help me to find this minimalistic style that I really enjoy. Um, because most of the time when you're shooting wide, you have so many elements that it's just I always like to call it messy. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, yeah, because it just. It just it's not pleasing to the eye so whenever something's messy i just don't even bother shooting it um but then with a with a 7200 you can really zoom into 
the specific like subjects that you want, like the moon or a mountain peak or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think the the 70 to 202.8 is my favorite lens. Uh, I I have it on so many times. I end up coming back from a trip and I've just got all these tight shots. but it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a style that I also love to shoot. So this is why shooting in the desert or shooting, uh, let's say Greenland in winter, is just I, like I'm going back in winter for sure. I've after my trip to Greenland, I've 100% just fallen in love with the place. It's really it's the gnarliest shooting conditions I've ever shot in, but it's everything is just so minimal. <laughs> There's everywhere you look, it's just like these perfect little comps, you know, rolling icebergs and little birds sitting on top of the icebergs. And yeah, it's just insane out there. It's a whole different like landscape. I think what inspires me the most out there is that I can shoot an iceberg. You know, I can take a photo of one iceberg and that iceberg is not going to be there in a couple of weeks. Like that's that moment of me catching that iceberg is is it you know that it's after that it's going to change it's going to melt it's going to move on it's going to dissipate and, and and melt into into the into the atlantic ocean essentially and versus going to a place like size our own where nothing's going to change that's you know you can go there and i mean obviously conditions do change but you will most likely be able to get a lot of the same photos that have been taken before uh but yeah, out in Greenland, everything's changing so fast. I mean, we were staying in a Lulisat and everything was frozen over. The, the ocean was just an ice sheet. And then we went, we took a chopper over to, uh, I think it was Dusko Island. And we were there for three days. And then we came back and there was all the, the entire ice sheet had just blown away with like strong winds. So it was it was crazy because everything looked completely different, you know, like before there was ice leading to the icebergs and there was just water around all the icebergs afterwards. So, yeah, I think that's what really inspires me about shooting out there. Everything changes so fast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that because uh, I feel like sometimes we we forget about this these kind of aspects of why we document like nature in the first place and we get so caught up in all the like uh numbers and and all that and we kind of forget what it really is about like being in nature and just witnessing these incredible moments and uh yeah i like that you said that that for example the alpe di Susi, it's just uh or size alm it's just yeah it, it stays the same um but something like a like an iceberg or a glacier or whatever it it changes so quickly and i i also noticed that going back to iceland uh, a couple of times now over the last few years like you can really see the changes in the in the landscapes like not just the the climate change but, but also like people going to certain places more you can see how like certain paths are you know being being built because people walk there or just how how it changes also because we travel so to all these places and i think in greenland it must be so untouched and really also hard to travel around 
yeah it's yeah 100 percent. it's it's really it's so desolate out there i think when when uh, luke and i went to disco island uh we were the first tourists they had seen in four months which is crazy you know like we just arrived there on a chopper and the like people in the village are looking at us like who, who are you like what what are you doing here you know uh we were literally the only tourists in the whole town like, just because it's so hard to get to and the you know the weather patterns change so rapidly that you can fly onto disco island you can get there with a the chopper okay but you could get stuck out there for two weeks because of the weather in winter it's yeah it's it's really really hectic if you think of it like that but it, it does make it that much more exciting and yeah a lot of some of my favorite drone shots of icebergs that i took were from just off the coast of this disco island where i knew that like a lot of people i think there's definitely photographers that have gone there prior uh in winter but it's not you know not often and uh, versus the amount of people that go there in summer because it's so much more accessible there's ferries that go there uh, you don't have to take a chopper because you, you literally you can't go there on a boat in winter it's just too many ice sheets uh yeah so that's what made it like really really exciting i think and yeah your yeah. your trip there looked amazing and uh, i really 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 want to go to greenland and honestly like it doesn't matter if i go in winter or summer like i just really i really want to go and yeah capture it it's, it looks amazing yeah and it is so it's so untouched and the cool thing is is that in in summer you can actually go sail around the ice, icebergs we were we actually had a, a, a trip planned to sail through the bergs but there was just too much ice so we unfortunately never got to do it uh but yeah i, I want to go back in summer i want to go back in winter like i think it's a place that i'm going to be traveling back to quite often uh and also spot like very like northern norway uh, svalbard is another place that i want to go to in winter like i want to you know go and shoot arctic foxes out there and i don't know i'm i'm very drawn towards like frozen landscapes now even though like i don't really like the cold which is quite funny um, yeah yeah i know what you mean i'm the same <laughs> yeah would you would you say that's kind of one of your favorite places you travel to greenland yeah 100 uh it's it's really hard to explain how it feels to be out there because you are just so it is so desolate you know like when you fly in, I can't even remember the name of the main airport, but when you fly in, you land sort of in the the north, sort of central west Greenland, and you land in this airport that's an old naval base. Uh, that I can't remember the name of the airport, but you land there and you get out of the, the plane and it's like minus 30 degrees. Uh, it's crazy because you land, you basically land on an ice sheet. <laughs> And you get out, like when I got out of the plane, like my nostrils just froze up instantly. Like the, the cold air just hits your lungs. And it's like, whoa, you know, when, we, when you're flying in, you're just flying over like thousands of kilometers of just Arctic, like wastelands. 
it looks like it anyway. There's there's no one out there, and like you can't. If you go, if you try survive out there, you you can't. It's like it's near impossible. You can't even build settlements in some of the areas just because it's so so sketchy, you know. But is the is the air is it like dry, cold, or is it like wet cold? It's dry. It's like dry. You you feel that? Well, I felt like it was like I was in a dry ice fridge. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess it can change. Like the weather can change the humidity levels. I don't even know what you call it, but um, I guess the the way the the cold feels definitely does change. You know, because they do get a bit of rain. Well, not rain during that time, but snow, and it gets it does get a little bit more wet. But most of the time when we were there, it was just like severe dry cold. It was, I think it was around minus twenty five most days we were there or minus 20 it did it did vary a bit uh but yeah it was it was extreme and extreme for my camera as well uh yeah my drone actually when we were when i was flying just off disco island my drone just landed on the middle of an ice sheet uh it, it just decided to land it was like it it got too cold uh Like it was a full battery and I just sent the drone up, flew it out and it was just like landing and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even control it, fly back. It was just boom, landed on the ice sheet. And um, luckily one of this one, this one legend that we were staying with uh, from one of the lodges or hotels, can't remember the name of it even right now, but uh, he walked out onto the ice sheet and picked, <laughs> picked up my drone. I posted a photo actually of like this massive iceberg with a dude in a red jacket um walking and he's like walking carrying my drone uh and yeah that was wow. pretty pretty crazy i'm glad i got the drone back yeah for sure um i know that when you're when you're flying your drone in like cold temperatures you should keep the batteries close to your body so that it stays warm because if the drone the drone battery is already cold when you Like basically put it into the drone, then you you'll have problems with the yeah. with the drone. Yeah. So that that's actually what happened. I flew it, and then I tried to fly it again on the same battery, and it was it was just too cold. Um, I've actually bought a battery bag now uh, for my FPV batteries because they are even worse. They need to be at like perfect temperature to fly them, otherwise they'll die within seconds. I think. Uh, but I bought this battery bag that heats up all your batteries to the perfect temperature, uh, specifically for the cold regions. Yeah, um, actually, let's talk about the the FPV thing because I I think I haven't had a guest uh, on the podcast uh, who is into that, and I kind of yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, where do I even begin? <laughs> I I guess I watched. Around a year ago, I watched one clip of someone just doing the most insane. I think maybe it was Johnny FPV. It might have even been Sam Calder doing like a backflip and Johnny FPV like flying down and then like circling him. And I was just like, "What the fuck?" Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but <laughs> I, I, saw, I saw I saw this clip and a few other clips and was just like, "Holy shit!" Like this this is insane like the way they're able to capture this footage you know and it, immediately i was like i need to do that like 100 i'm gonna do that like i need to 
find out everything I can, get as good as I can, do all the research, and like I want to be able to do exactly that, you know. And that's sort of when the journey started, and I started doing a lot of research and playing in the simulator. I was actually I trained for ages just on a little PlayStation remote uh, plugged into my Mac um, in the simulator. I, I trained for, I don't know, almost a year, I think, uh, on and off. And then I eventually bought my first drone, which was the iFlight DC-5, and started flying with that. And I, I was just in, immediately hooked. It's... That's pretty hard to explain because the way, like, I can only imagine that's sort of how it would be to wingsuit, uh, minus the minus feeling the wind and like the the g force. Um, but yeah, I just started flying, started crashing a lot. Like, just it's so difficult to operate one of these things and get good at operating it because you are essentially controlling every single axis of the of the drone you know you're putting acceleration in you're putting you put the amount of power into every single like each motor to make it rotate and turn exactly the way you want to and when you first start flying especially with goggles it's so disorientating because your 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 brain is seeing something different to the way your body is feeling like your brain is turning in a certain angle, but your body can't feel that rotation. So it's at first when I started flying, I was getting super dizzy and uh, I still get dizzy to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I just, I just got so hooked. I had so much adrenaline to fly. It's about as much adrenaline as I used to get when I was downhill skating and going like, I don't know, hundred plus kilometers an hour. And yeah since then i've just basically become obsessed and i spend a lot of time flying i fly if there's good weather i fly almost every day at least for half an hour and yeah it's and now going to norway and diving like really big mountains uh i'm even more hooked it's just so much fun you know sending the drone 1000 i don't know the the clip that i just posted was like more than 1000 meters up and then just diving all the way down it's just so like so so exhilarating you know so much adrenaline i think i, was, I felt like i was going to pass out pass out after that run uh also also just being able to capture these really unique perspectives of places um is also what drives me and also uh, like a, a new fundamental aspect that I'm going to bring into my filmmaking, uh, just because you are able to show completely new perspectives of well-known places. Um, so yeah, I, I love it. And I, I think it's just the beginning, you know, for, for where I'm going to go with it and yeah, excited. Yeah, it definitely did like rev revolutionize the, the way we are, we are, creating films and stuff like that because i think since like you know every year there's a new camera and there's only so much that can change between the cameras but when you're able to to like have a new perspective or film it in a new way that it just feels different and feels new i think it's it's such an exciting part as a filmmaker as well because 
you always kind of want to try to find something that's different and unique. And that's, I think FPV is definitely something that will do that for, for filmmakers, especially. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I think once you try and once you're able to actually, you know, operate one of these drones, like it's so addictive. <laughs> And just knowing, you know, when you go travel, that you you have that whole different aspect now uh, to what you're able to capture. And yeah, it's it, it is just being able to capture these fresh perspectives and really push the boundaries of of filmmaking, essentially. Um, in term in terms of pushing boundaries with filmmaking and photography, uh, I think underwater photography is something that I'm gonna be tackling full force uh, when we were able to travel. That's, uh, yeah, me growing up in the ocean, I mean, I've been surfing for about 20 years now and just being in the ocean, I absolutely love it, you know, it's, it's so good. I feel it's like such a, like ocean therapeutics, if you can call it that. Uh, and yeah, being in the water, surfing, and I think just the nat the natural gravitation of where my work is going to go is going to go underwater. Um, I haven't got a housing yet, but it's something that I'm getting soon. And yeah, I think for people who do follow my work, expect a lot of underwater stuff soon. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I actually bought a underwater housing at the beginning of the year. And then I haven't really had the chance to try it out. Like, um, I, I tried it in uh, Tuscany when I was there and, oh, yeah. uh, but I was just like, yeah, messing around a little bit, but it's actually a lot harder than, than it seems like you would think, okay, I'll just go on the water and I take the photos, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not that easy. No, like I've never used an underwater housing, but I do know a little bit about buoyancy, uh, because I've been in the water and I have my, I have my diving license, um, uh, not my free diving license. I don't think you'd really need one, but I've got my just like normal, uh, paddy diving license for diving with tanks. And yeah, it's really something that you need to practice a lot of to be able to find proper buoyancy and, um, and also find, you know, the buoyancy with using an underwater housing, you know, cause that's like a balloon essentially, if you, if you take it underwater and you don't have correct buoyancy with it. So I think it can be super difficult to shoot with them. I do think it's probably a, probably a whole nother beast of its own to learn and get good at underwater photography. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely keen to, to get into it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's just so nice to know that there's, uh, there's always so much to learn that like, you know, like as a photographer, I feel like often you, you feel like, I don't know, it can get kind of boring, but then when you, when you think like, oh, there's actually all these par different parts, like that you can get creative with, you know, like you can, I think, especially when, when I have like a creative block, then I always try to do something that I usually don't shoot, for example, portraits or, or create, I don't know, something that is just way out of the normal things that I do. And I think that's a really exciting part about being a creative because, you know, creativity is unlimited. So that's, 
that's a nice thing about the the job that we do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think just being able to know that you do have so many creative outlets and avenues that you can go down is like sort of liberating. I know what you mean exactly, you know, in terms of maybe feeling like your work's stagnant or that things aren't changing or maybe you're not being creatively fed enough. Uh, I know I've experienced that with my own photography and I'm actually currently experiencing it with my own work at the moment. Uh, I think for me, I'm, I'm wanting to search for a lot more depth in my work and, you know, like anyone can just, well, not anyone, but a lot of people can just go take a very pretty photo, you know, little man, big landscape, good light, make sure you make sure you're there at the right time and, you know, just snap a whole bunch of photos, um, which I do myself and I, I have enjoyed it and I still do enjoy it, but I'm, at, I'm sort of at a crossroads where my work with, with my work where I'm trying to, yeah, to find more depth in the work and maybe just try to tell more meaningful stories. Uh, I think it's it's something that I'm not really practicing enough at the moment, but it's something that I'm trying to integrate more into my work. And uh, it's another reason why I'm like looking at film uh, and and getting into film. Like one, one a mate of mine who I'm sure you knew, you know quite well, uh, Yan B, who is like a huge inspiration for me at the moment. It's funny because out of out of a lot of people, like 99% of people that I follow on Instagram, he's one of the people that's inspiring me the most. And it's just with his phone page, you know, um, just because, yeah, I, I think he's got, he's got such a unique way of capturing raw moments versus staged ones. And a lot of the landscape photography that I shoot and a lot of other people is quite staged. Uh, and it's not a, it's not a bad thing, you know, because you you we are obviously artists and we are creating the frames that we want to create. And if we have an idea to put a little person sitting on the end end of the ledge and have this massive like vista backdrop, uh, we obviously doing it because we know it's going to look good and it does look good. And there's no I'm not taking away anything for you know creating like that, but for me personally, I. And definitely getting a lot more inspired by raw work and, and work that is not so choreographed and more just, you know, the raw moments captured. Uh, and yeah, Yan B is a, is a great example of that because he is able to capture those super ordinary moments so well. Uh, and yeah, his work does tell a lot, tell quite a good story. Uh, yeah, I'm not, really, I not really sure where I'm going with this, but yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I definitely do want to, to focus and be a lot more conscious about like the, the photos that I'm taking and, and just trying to, trying to just search deeper, you know, into the work I create and, and not just post pretty pictures, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I feel like uh, a lot of people are kind of heading into that direction. I mean, there's always going to be like people that kind of do the same thing because it works and that's fine if it if it works for them, but I I see that a lot of people in the in the community 
try to do exactly like do what you just said, like try to go deeper and tell stories and find things just like some more like on on perfect moments, I would say. And uh, a lot of people also, as you said, start picking up a film camera, which is awesome because I also I love shooting on film and it's something I really want to do more of and even consider going on trips and just shooting on film, which is expensive, but it's just such a such a different layer of experiencing photography, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think like one of the keys to all of this, or at least myself, is just trying to find trying to find balance, you know. Uh, and I think just trying to strike a good balance between epic landscape photography, filmmaking, and then you know also shooting on film and just try, yeah, try bring more of a balance into my work instead of just posting like epic landscapes, you know, which I I sort of have fallen into that trap a little bit. Um, it's not really a trap because you can always post whatever you want, but you know, when you build up an audience around a certain style of work, I guess there's the sort of notion behind, oh, you know, if I draw, if I post this, like, what are people going to think? You know, this is completely like way out of the box in terms of what I usually share. So I guess that is, there is also that sort of daunting aspect of not pushing the boundaries just because you know that the formula that you have works. Uh, But yeah, I guess it's just part of the journey and part of uh, figuring it all out and figuring it out as a, as a creative. Um, And yeah, in general, I'm, in general, I'm pretty stoked with the process and I'm, I'm always stoked to shoot, but I guess it's good to have these conversations and it's good to be sort of conscious about it so that you are moving forward, you know, and not staying stagnant. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think on that note, we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. I think that's a good good way to to leave uh, the podcast. But Kyle, thank yeah, you sure. so much for uh, sitting down with me and, and just sharing all these experiences. Uh, it's really inspiring listening to your story. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. I yeah appreciate coming onto the podcast and. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Cheers. Yeah, awesome. All right. Bye, Carl. Cheers, Juliet.